Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 497 of the Constructor Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, EZ. I'm joined by the king of coverage himself, Mason E. Clark. Hey, buddy. How you doing? You know, I'm okay today. I'm a little, a little sleepy. I uh, didn't sleep well last night, but, you know, I had the day off, so kind of relaxing. Happy President's Day as of the time recording, Mason. Yeah, it was a good day. Good, I'm glad to hear it. That's awesome. It's good to always have some time off. Yeah, it's nice. You know, got a pretty busy week at work, but, you know, we're not here to really talk about us this week. We're here to talk about standard. But Mason, I think it's safe to say that people think it's the best format right now. That's what the, the buzz is around the streets. And we're going to talk about some of the best decks performing uh, for people right now. Before we do that, though, we're going to talk about always improving. It is the point of the show. We want to do everything we can each and every week to be trying to get better. I missed last week. Uh, and I miss Abe, man. I'm not going to lie. This is week three of me or Abe. You know, one of us missing the show. And uh, I miss him. So I just want to give a shout out. Abe, I miss you. Uh, getting ready for that pro tour. But... I'm going to go first and talk about my wizard from this week. This week, Mason, I got to play in a 1K team event where it was Team Trio's uh, Standard Modern Pioneer. And I got the opportunity to play Blue-White Control in the Standard seat. And in round two, uh, I had an interesting play that I wanted to talk about on the show where I was at one life and I had a board wipe. And I had a a Wandering Emperor at two. And my opponent was tapped out. And, you know, I thought about it for a while. And, you know, I said, hey, Quentin, I just want you to know that, like, could be throwing this game away or I could be, like, winning this game here. But I'm going to sacrifice this Wandering Emperor to go to three to kill this guy before I wrath so that I can, don't die to the many one-mana ETB effects that this deck tends to play. And Gwen's like, okay, well, at least you thought about it. And sure enough, my opponent immediately uh, plays a, you know, ETB, the saga that turns into the 2-2. Oh, Commando plays the yeah. saga song? Yep. Gotcha. And uh, it was funny. I, I ended that game at two life with that exact two life that I had gained from from that card. And it's it's, you know, it's something that, I think a lot of times in Magic, uh, we Michael Hinder actually joked that we're like addicted to value and stuff. And you know, looking at myself at one life and thinking about the game, it was obvious to me what I should do. And what was so funny is as I passed, my opponent was like, "Dang it!" and like slams it on the slams it on the table. And I think it has kind of goes to those like tiny edges or so that PV talks about, where you know you you think, "Oh, I'll just get this life later." But it's possible that I need this life right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the reason my opponent played into their wrath so heavily is so that, uh, you know, I would maybe not minus uh, there and instead maybe make a 2-2. Two -two. And it was, it was the right play, and uh, I was rewarded for it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really cool when those sort of things come up. And kind of, like, playing towards, like, what winning looks like from here is always a really big and important part of the game, right? Like it does like the two, two actually matter. Well, maybe, but like if I have the two, two, they can only maybe do so much damage via haste creatures, right? So maybe this ends up being the same, but it beats things that this doesn't beat. So it's really heads up plan. I really like sort of, you know, the constant thinking about kind of like what matters here, right? Cause the highest value play you can make is winning the game. Yeah, I agree. What about you? My was a pretty moment really comes 
uh, in the form of getting ready for this 75K in standard. Just been, that's not really a little bit in the past weeks, but just really been exploring everything and not just settling for, you know, like, oh, I've got like a good one right at the stack. I like my plans. It seems reasonable. And just really exploring everything that the format has to offer. You know, like once I found my deck and was pretty happy with it, I spent some time playing other decks and doing that. And ultimately, I think, ended up on a deck that I'm happier playing than the other decks. Um, and like, I don't know if I would have got there or been as confident had I not gone through like playing all the other decks, um, you know, specifically playing stuff like Esper Midrange um, and then getting paired into control decks on Saturday and just being like, gosh, this is like way harder than it should be. And it's like, okay, I'm going to change my deck a little bit and see if I can beat it still like struggling in a way that seems like I shouldn't be all right. Well, maybe there's something really to these decks and then kind of iterating and taking what's been out there with control decks and working out from there has been really rewarding. And uh, yeah, it, it's cool. And I feel like I'm pretty happy with where I'm going into as of right now. So i got a couple slots. I'm not the most satisfied with, but it's been cool to sort of, you know, not settling and really exploring and, being willing to be like, okay, yeah, I think this deck is good, but let's check out the other decks and see kind of how they're doing and try and find the actual best thing. Yeah, I think one of the nice things about the standard format is because it's so much bigger than we're used to, like there's a lot of room for innovating, even in like small places. You know, in our Discord today, you know, people were asking about that matchup specifically too. And it's like, well, there, you know, it kind of depends on a plan that you want to have while also presenting you know, a solid 75 overall. And it's, there's, there's a lot of magic cards in standard compared to how many magic cards are usually in standard. So. Yeah. And it's weird. We're actually at the tipping. Well, I guess we're right before the tipping point, right? Like Thunder Junction, just a month and a half will be the biggest standard has ever been. And it will theoretically never get bigger. You know, that will be the last set. And then after Thunder Junction, a couple months later, we'll get a, uh, Gloomhaven or whatever it's called, the the Willowborn thing. Regardless, we're kind of at like this bigger thing. And you're right, like, you know, this is a huge standard compared to most things. And even though it is so big, it's interesting because the cards have been fairly impactful and changing. And typically we saw a standard format, you know, if we had two sets, things didn't really move as much. I kind of expected more of that to an extent outside of, you know, high synergies that are enabled from the past years and realistically you know the time in which they weren't testing for this stuff to happen and i've been surprised with how good it's been so it's exciting along all things considered that is going to do it for always improving uh if you want to support the show directly one of the best ways to do that even though the show will always be free is head over to patreon.com slash ccmtg like david did they became a patron of five dollars or more getting them access to the discord welcome to the discord david i saw you jump in there today it's nice to see you in there in the streets already talking about things like standard with other players. If you want to be like David and jump into those conversations, heading over to patreon.com slash ccmtg. Another great way to support the show is with our sponsors. Specifically, the first one I want to talk about is Heavy Play. And I want to tell Mason a story about Heavy Play. Uh, because as, as expected, when you show up to a... Uh, a tournament with heavy play products, people ask questions uh, because they're unique and different and really cool and really nice. And so our entire team is using heavy play sleeves because after giving uh, my friend Quentin a pack of the ones that we got from our sponsorship, he went out and bought a ton because he just loved them that much. And in our, you know, in our top four match, people were like, oh, like, where do you get them? And I was like, oh, you just go to their website, use the code CCMTG and you'll get 10% off, right? 
And Quentin goes, oh, I didn't know you had a code. And I was like, well, what code did you use? And he goes, oh, I use Jerry's. And I, like, looked at him like, are you for real, man? Are you for real? And everybody at the table, like, just cracked up. Did he really not use our code? He really no, just used Jerry's? he really Jerry's? did use Jerry's. And I was like, what <laughs> the heck, so man? So, All right, Ryan, you hear that, our, our sponsor ambassador. Yeah, Take X percent of Jerry's. <laughs> move it to us. <laughs> so oh, rude. my goodness. That's so funny. It was, it was hysterical. No, but it really is, like, the product really is that good where, you know, he used the sleeves one time, and he replaced all of his sleeves across all of his magic products. Like, that's kind of how sweet they are. And once again, that code is CCMTG for 10% off. And then don't forget that you can check out our other sponsor. Use the link in the description below for uh, get to go to untap.gg. It is the best companion app for Arena. I used it today. I use it every day. I'd never turn it off because it's that helpful in games. As well as, like, you know, if you're new to a draft format, one of their best things that they have is the DraftSmith features. You know, I know a lot of our constructed criticism patrons, uh, you know, we have a limited channel in there. People be drafting all the time. DraftSmith is a great way to, like, get back into draft, understand different draft formats, look at different ways that you could build your deck, things like that. And then finally, our last sponsor that for, for this month's sponsorship is Mana Candles. Mana Candles is a great product. Uh, we talked about them a little bit last month, but I got the Fire Mountain right here. And I, I just honestly, I'm, I'm a candle guy. I, my wife kind of turned me into a candle guy a couple years ago. I have got this candle back here that I've been using, so I haven't opened, cracked open the, the Fire Mountain yet. But man, they are so good. And I know that you just cracked open the Forest one, and we're pretty pleased. Yeah, it has a, a scent to it that's pretty nice. Yeah, I, I like the Forest one. I use my Forest one so much that it is completely gone. Uh, like just used it way too fast. So check them out. Their Etsy store link should be in the show notes below. And they they make you know cut different one for every color. And we really appreciate the sponsorship from them as well. That's gonna do it for the housekeeping though. Let's dive into the main topic, which is standard power rankings. So let's start with how do these rankings work. Every so often, uh, we dive into the data and give you a look at how decks are performing. Um, give them points according to their finish. So the way that that works is if you are in an event that uh, we use, you get six points for first, five for second, four for top four, three for top uh, eight, two for top 16. And I did not use the top 32s due to some of the sizes of uh, the challenges, uh, but you would typically get one point for that. What events did we include this time? So the last four, so the last two weeks of standard challenges and then the 5K from the Energy um, this past weekend. I didn't use the 5K from Denver, Mason. Um, and I the reason is because I didn't want to make up how those points would work. Because the way that it worked is they did a top cut to top 16. And then just played one round of the top 16. Uh, gave out the invites and the, and the money. So we didn't include that data. That being said, there was a kind of a tie for 8th place. Um, and I figured we wouldn't cover these decks too much, but kind of the blue mid-range decks, the blue-black mid and the blue-white creature decks 
both came in with nine points. So one of them was a flash deck, one of them a soldier deck, kind of like how we combined them last time. I just combined them this time. Um, what do you think of these blue mid-range decks and, and their place in... I mean, this is a huge drop from where they were when we did our power rankings just a month ago. Yeah, they really struggle against decks like Boros, Convoke, and Toxic. And when we were doing our thing before, I think it was like right on the verge of Toxic really becoming a player in the format. And then obviously Boros, Convoke has really hit the stage with the murder of Karloff Manor. So I think these decks kind of struggle and haven't had exactly the right tools to adapt yet. And I think that is something that, you know, we're going to see players with time get better at. You know, a deck that I personally played a lot of uh, was like Rakdos Midrange, but a more aggressively slanted deck. And like, I even missed on the card Kadetsu Consumes All over Path to Peril, just being better in that deck um, for solving the problem I went into against those decks. And like, that's something that I, you know, found today. It's like, oh, wow, I should say shown today. Um, and that really, you know, helped me there. And I imagine there'll be more stuff in time like that for these decks as players explore, but they do sort of struggle and they're sort of the smaller dog in all the other mid range battles. And they really excel against decks like domain ramp and blue white control. That's kind of where they are much better at competing. And those decks, uh, in one case of domain ramp has fallen significantly in player representation. So that makes it a lot harder to, you know, kind of prey on those things. Yeah, I will say, you know, I got a chance to look at some of the, like, the matchup spreads with Metcling today while making the power rankings. And, you know, you look at some of these blue midrange decks and, like, for example, Demir midrange, like, has, is a is a pretty big dog to Bant Toxic. And mm-hmm. also, you know, is has a losing matchup against Boros, so, like, you know, isn't doing as well against the aggressive decks as you would hope from your midrange deck. And then also just is a huge, is a dog against the other blue mid-range decks. And so it's like, okay, what's the real reason to end up playing something like this if I'm not good in any of, like, any of the matchups except for, like, you know, Rakdos and, and uh, you know, the Mentor deck, which I wouldn't play anyway. I have a question when looking at these. Did we make, like, legally Esper in the blue-black camp? Is it just, like, blue-black with Rafine? Yeah, anything anything with Rafine was considered Esper. Okay. I'm cu- yeah, because that, that's where I've seen people. We saw like Benjamin Ungar uh, make top uh, eight of the NRG. I'm um, sorry, top four um, playing blue black splashing Rafine essentially. Yep. And that is something where I think like you need to move in that kind of direction you of playing to, your. Blue you have to black. right because we talk about how that's kind of why there's a really good point because like otherwise you just can't keep up on the kind of quality in a lot of in a lot of those blue mid range mirrors. Yeah, you're really leaning on cards like Deep Cavern Bat against decks like Toxic as well and uh, Convoke. And so being able to do something like Bat into Rafine uh, or Gix is kind of how you're going to best win those matchups. And the nice part about Rafine is you can start conniving and gaining more life and maybe provide you a buffer from that first, you know, maybe uh, Imidine Recruiter attack. And then you can start stabilizing from there. But yeah, I- I'm really curious to see kind of how those decks evolve over time. Next up with 10 points, we have Bant Toxic. Um, this deck actually won an event too. So it has a six-point finish and two top 16s. This deck is really interesting to me in its place in the meta because it really came out trying to just beat up on Domain Ramp, right? Like, that was that was the reason that somebody, uh, you know, might pick up Bant Toxic. Um, and the problem is, is that it has a really, really bad Boris Convoke matchup. Like, 
un, like unwinnable bad. Like it, it's 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 like it, it's an 80-20 matchup on paper. And that's yeah. that's a hard place to be in this format. Yeah, Convoked is one of the best, if not the best deck in the standard format. And I think, you know, the big thing to think about is Bant, Toxic, Convoke are trying to do actually very similar things, but one deck can block and the other deck can't. And it, like, literally so many cards in the Toxic deck don't allow you to block and then get outsized by the cards in the Convoke deck. So you have this really hard position. You also have multiple different colors, so cards like Skrelv are a lot less effective, right? If you're trying to, like, Skrelv plus Jawbone Duelist through and do damage, you know, if I play something like a Sanguine Evangelist, well, that's a white and a black body, right? Even if I'm chump blocking, that's creating a bit of a wall for you to get that Corrupted going, to get the Skrull Tab going, to get your, you know, lifelink. But even then, you just burst so much with the Bant, uh, sorry, the Boris Convoke deck, the Bant Toxic deck, this sometimes struggles to actually get that Corrupted going, and then beyond that, get the Tin Poison across. So, I find this deck is, you know, incredibly well positioned against Demain Ramp, Pretty good against decks like Blue Black Mid as well, as we talked a second ago, but really leans way too much on, like, you know, Rot Priest plus March with, like, some sort of wombo combo to win against these other matchups. And I find that to be really frustrating and has me kind of off the deck when it comes to things like Convoke, which is eliminable. And as for Mid, which isn't the greatest, you know, it's not a terrible matchup, but it's still hard to break through those walls. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I want to go back to your Rot Priest comment. It, it's mm-hmm. like, it's so hard to put together when you have to put together the right board state, even. You know, so not only are you relying on drawing both these cards, but you also have to be in a position where that even is enough. Uh, it, it's a lot to ask. Yeah, and you're also getting a good amount of splash hate, right? Like if you're building your conv- for a convoke matchup, a lot of the cards overlap. And in fact, really, the, the, one of the bigger problems I would argue is that there are almost no cards that you would play just for infect that don't also hit convoke, and then all the convoke cards hit infect just as well. So you're in this weird position where people just incidentally have cards for you. Yeah. Coming up next in uh, our sixth place slot is Golgari Midrange. This is the same Golgari deck that it's been the whole time. It's it's really good against Esper Control, and uh, it comes in with 12 points. Um, this I, I was kind of looking today. I have not played Golgari very much uh, since, you know, I was really high on it, uh, you know, almost what it feels like so long ago at this point. But, you know, th- this deck um, has actually uh, recently been struggling in the Esper midrange matchup. Um, mm-hmm. In the last uh, two weeks, for what it's worth, it's only tw- uh, 35 matches played, but it actually has a 35 win per- 35% win percentage in those two weeks, right? So that means that either, one, the Esper decks have really figured out the matchup, or mm-hmm. two, that, like, the, the cards that the Esper decks are playing now to combat the rest of the format have also come down and actually flipped this matchup on its head. And, uh, you know, it makes you wonder like, okay, well, where am I here? Like, am I just here to beat other blue mid range decks that aren't Esper? Is Esper the most popular version? Like what, what am I doing? What, why do I want to be Golgari mid right now? Yeah. I think the biggest reason to be Golgari mid is we're scoring a pretty good Boros Convoke matchup among all the black mid range decks. Like, it makes sense that you play the board the best, and cards like Blissa can be a bit of an issue for them, and they stabilize very well while also being really good against the Toxic cards. And there's a lot of, I think, strength in that sort of area. I've also heard some people say that they like this version of the mid-range decks best against Control. I personally don't really see that, but that's something I've heard players state. Um, and, yeah, I think Golgari mid just kind of has, like, classic 
pretty good in a couple spots. And I do think the Esper mid-range matchup has kind of fallen behind as the Esper decks have moved in a certain more direction. But, you know, Glyph Sunslayers is still a very strong card. And really one thing you're going to notice as we talk about this is, is that the black mid-range cards really are defining the format. And it's how do you want to play with those black mid-range cards that is, you know, everything is kind of revolving around. And Golgari is just one of the flavors to do that. Yeah, for for what it's worth, you know, th- this is something that we'll probably talk about when we get to Blue White. Blue White has 283 total matches in the last two weeks, whereas decks like Boros Convoke have 928 matches. And so there's a huge disparity for this new deck that we're going to talk about, n- newish deck that we're going to talk about, and the number of matches for the data compared to other things. So you talk you talked a little bit about Golgari midrange. Well, that's Golgari supporting uh, a nineteen matches played a twenty one percent win percentage against blue white. You know, mm. very small sample size, but like you know, if it's another deck that's beating up on Golgari, it's kind of leading to like, okay, well, I'm really good against Azorius, and I'm really good against you know some of these these blue whiteish decks, right? Where where am I getting my my other stuff? And strangely enough, if you look, red deck wins a uh, huge win percentage, you know, crushing it. Whereas uh, against Boros Convoke, it's actually a fifty fifty matchup because of, and I think that has to do with the three mana enchantment, like the the war leader's call. Yeah, war leader's call being able to push through damage and being able to actually make your stuff big enough to tango a little bit in the matchup. But like, it just tells me that Boros also has legs that maybe you wouldn't expect a deck like that to have in the matchup, you know, just large enough creatures, things like that. Yeah, I think Case of the Gateway Express also helps a ton, yeah. right? Like, I tap out for a, a Galissa or a Shieldred, you case me. We'll get more into that, I think, when we get to the Boris Convoke deck as well. But I, I just think one thing to keep in mind, you know, is, like, I think most of the black midrange decks are not great against the Convoke deck. I have not seen the data that you're looking at right now. But... I can say that, like, you know, that is one of the problems with them is that you kind of struggle in game ones. So that should be a sign that Golgari players are starting to figure stuff out. Once again, I haven't seen the data you're looking at here. Next up with 18 points uh, coming in in fifth place is Mono Red. This is this deck, I think, is uh, has some some staying power that I did not expect it to continue to hold like a spot like this throughout the format selection, especially when you consider like the amount of. I mean, we talked about an aggressive duck in Bant Toxic. We're going to talk, you know, again, Boris Convoke, spoilers, uh, a little bit later. And, like, Monorite is staying the course, like, still a solid deck, uh, able to have good matchups that you kind of don't expect, and still kind of get those, that you know, some of those wins just from, like, being the aggressor, like, asking the questions. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, man. I think Monorite's here to stay. Yeah, I mean, the Monorite cards are good. I mean, I don't. There's not much to be said beyond that. Like, I, I personally prefer Boros Convoke if I was going to be playing an aggressive deck, but I think the mono red cards are good. Like, you know, going Kamano into something like Felden into Godric is like a really powerful curve. It really puts you upon the back foot. Woodstalker Frenzy is a great tool against cards like Preacher the Schism and Shieldred. Yep. Um, we've seen, you know, even sub Convoke decks play those cards in small numbers. So, like, that is just a powerful place to be. And I, I think the red cards are very powerful and they do ask somewhat different things of you than things like toxic and convoke do, which is an upside, right? Uh, a card like knockout blow 
does not hit the same against Convoke as it does against Mono Red. And as players look more towards Convoke, you're getting a lot more game now because you're not, you know, not getting your three mana play answered and gaining a couple of life for a single mana out of these white decks. So I think that the Mono Red deck is quite good. Um, and it makes a lot of sense to me that it's going to kind of fluctuate with where it is in our rankings, depending on everything else going on. I think that's a sign of a good, healthy senior format. Yeah, I think so too. Let's talk about the main ramp next. This deck comes in with only one more point in our fourth place slot at 19 points. And it was the boogeyman kind of coming into the standard RCQ season. And um, Mason, you you already kind of hinted at its kind of fall from grace. Do you want to kind of talk about your thoughts on what's happening here? I think there's a lot of things going on with Domain Ramp. I'd be curious to hear what you think of this as well. One of the things I would say is that everyone kind of came in and kind of knew Domain was the deck to beat. And a lot of people have been picking decks and playing decks. And every deck we're looking at here in our you know top eight has a pretty good Domain matchup at worst or has plans for Domain. And I think that's really telling. We don't have a single deck here in the top eight that I would say is just a complete dog to Domain, like even post-board. Um, maybe there's a little bit of debate there. But for the most part, People are coming in and they're respecting the deck and that's going to move its position a little bit. It was a clear number one. And also the format sped up a lot. You know, Bant, Toxic, Convoke, these decks are able to get underneath you very quickly and are forcing decks like Domain Ramp to play lots of temporary lockdowns, which is not as effective against things like Esper Midrange or some of these like uh, midrange black decks of other colors. So I think the Domain Ramp deck has had that problem coming on and it really also hasn't gained much. There hasn't been a ton of innovation I personally tried to innovate a little bit. I like some of my stuff, but not enough to play it over the other decks. You know, tried doing things like the case, tried doing things like depopulator versus sunfalls, tried playing a ton of black virtues, just playing four and changing the mana base. And all those things were fine, but they didn't move the needle enough for me in all the matchups. So I think domain is still a very good deck. I do not think it is the best second standard, but it is super solid and does force you to come with answers for it. Cause if you don't, it is good and it will run you over. Yeah, I think that domain is in like the spot of like it's fine if you like want to play a five color ramp control deck. That's a good deck. Like that that's kind of where it's at. It, domain is one of the decks that we do have the most matches like it's in the you know top three most matches played category here. So when you think about that, it, it's it's because I think the reason that you see that is because it is one of the best decks. And so naturally it's going to have more matches played. It also was one of the best decks going in, still one of the best decks going into this new murder set, right? And to me, like, I find when I look at, you know, when I look at chunks of, of data, whether it's two weeks, whether it's the lifetime of this deck, the, the way that this deck innovates is it innovates at its threat level and it it's really found kind of its sweet spot at its interaction level, its... It's kind of, it's RAM packages. We've seen a lot of different lists trying those things. And what we end up seeing is a lot of people trying different things at its threat level to either go bigger, gain more card advantage, kind of different things. And I think that that makes it hard for its matchups to shift wildly compared to when you look at a deck that like can can like interact with you at a certain axis that it wasn't inter- interacting with you at. And I, I, I think that makes it hard for this deck. That makes a ton of sense to me. I also think that Lockdown itself actually ends up being a little bit better against Domain Ramp than people realized. Um, Just being able to hit the Beanstalk at the same time as, you know, being a really cheap answer to a bunch of beasts coming into play 
has surprised me as far as like, you know, maybe I actually am keeping in some lockdowns in this matchup that I would normally think that it would be one where I would side them out. But like when you play like blue-white control, for example, the best card against you is actually a two-drop enchantment that that thing kills. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, and then herd migration forces you to have a wrath. This is a three mana, so it's yeah. seven for three. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So the next deck comes in uh, the deck that you really uh, were hyping up when you know when the second out makes in, and that's Boros Convoke. Can you talk to me about? I mean, obviously it wasn't on our last one because it didn't exist yet, but all all the way up to number three with twenty six points. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the the data now, uh, and Boros Convoke has some really strong numbers with, you know, 928 matches played, differing numbers in the matchups here. But the long story short is Boros Convoke is a deck that is very good at having fast starts and putting your opponent on the back foot. And even if your opponent starts to stabilize, one of the big problems that players have is actually killing the Convoke player before the Convoke player can sort of burst through that. So. Convoke has draws that are like pioneer level. You know, you play something like Voldemort Epic here on turn one, Gleeful Demolition on turn two, and put Knight Aaron of Eos, you know, off like a white land. That's like a really strong start, not even your best start. That is literally not the best start your deck could have. And that is so good. And I think the deck just has draws that even like its worst matchups on the draw cannot beat things like this, right? So the deck is very good. It is powerful. It is proactive. It plays like a weirdly good tempo game as well, like it, with the removal and like things like Case of the Gateway Express, just absolutely blow your opponent out. Um, just killing their three or four drop and then attacking and then threatening even more damage the rest of the game is huge. So I have really liked this deck. Um, I thought it was very strong. And honestly, the thing that I think I and many others have against it is its mana. It has the worst mana of any deck in standard. Um, but despite that, it is still putting up really good numbers. Uh, it just sometimes loses to its own mana base, and that's hard to pick a deck like that when you're playing something that's like a four. For example, I'm playing the 75k. 14 rounds, a bad mana base is going to come back to bite me way more than like let's say a five round, a six round, seven round challenge, right? Like I can afford to lose a bit more like that and still end up in the top cut. Um, and also, I'm doing it from home versus flying, so there's a bunch of stuff there. But yeah. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I'd just like to add on, like, because I, I think this deck is very good. And one of the things that's really strong about it is, we, you know, we talked a lot about, like, the blue-white tempo and mid-range style decks, kind of like the blue-white creature decks a couple weeks ago. And the reason I like them is, like, it's really easy to just keep gaining cards somehow while still applying pressure. And I actually think the Boros Convoke deck is really good at this, too. You just end up with still having cards. And, you know, I got to play against this deck uh, with with Blowing Control this weekend. It was actually what knocked us out of knocked me out of top four. And while the matchup I think is like, you know, it's pretty doable, I should say, for you know something something like Blue White. What ends up happening, in my opinion, is like even if the matchup is close to like forty five or or fifty fifty, the the problem is is like. The you have to find a way to close the game out with blue eye control. It's not like other aggro decks where you're like, all right, this is my pivot turn. Like this is where I'm gonna take over the game because every single draw is like a kind of a real threat. Uh, especially like you know you top deck is it uh, recruiter? I'm trying to remember the name of the Emma Dane's recruiter. Yeah, thank you. Just there's so much that can just 
immediately changed the landscape of what had just happened in the last two turns. The things like Mono Red, a deck that, you know, like I said, I think it's pretty strong, doesn't really have that opportunity like this deck does. And thus puts this deck as the very clear best aggressive deck to me. Yeah, I mean, the deck is very good. Numbers back that up. I mean, just have the strongest starts and the ability to fight through in the mid-game like you're talking about. And I think, like, the clues and the blood that you incidentally make is a big part of that, right? You know, I draw my one drop, I'm able to, like, you know, use my extra land I had in hand, either draw another card in the turn, or, like, cycle it away with my blood and just move through my deck. And when I have those few power cards, like, Knight Aaron Vios at Find Imidanes and Find Imidanes, and then I find War Leader's Call or Sigmund Evangelist or Case the Gateway Express. I have a lot of really good cards that push damage, and I think the deck is really, really good. And, you know, I'd be very happy if someone told me I had to play Boris Convoke all season. It's like, great. I'd be over the moon. Awesome deck. Uh, now we have our, you know, that was that was kind of our first big jump in points. Um, oh, can I say something too real quick? I meant to say oh, yeah, before. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I think a lot of people are overestimating how good their cyborg cards are against Convoke. One thing I've noticed is people are saying stuff like, oh, I've just got like, Monorite has like four in the festivities. And it's like, that sometimes is good, but it is not like, oh, I've got my four end of festivities, you know, time to beat up the, these players. Or like, I've got a path to peril. Like, like Spencer and I were talking about, they do rebuild. And I think you need to have like dedicated plans. Like when I was playing my Rector's Aggressive deck, Spencer, my plan was playing Archfinder Dross. Like just try to gum the board up, play a Dross and play a path to peril and hope that, you know, that 12-ish damage I did from everything dying plus my Dross would win the game. That's like a way to actually win. If you just have like a path to peril, they rebuild very easily. And if you have things like in the festivities or other cheap, like minus one, minus ones, those cards are better against things like toxic where they actually kill everything. But this deck very easily dodges those, including with things like war leaders call, which now gives them a card to play into on those turns. So you have to play it earlier, which makes it harder to line up. So I just wanted to highlight that you need to have really good plans for Boris Kabuk. No, I, I agree. I mean, I kind of was hinting at that with, like, the blue-white comments about, like, oh, man, they still have a bunch of stuff. Like, for example, I ended up playing a Boonbringer Valkyrie. Um, and mm-hmm. I actually, in my current blue-white list, have two Boonbringer Valkyries. Because, like, you actually can't just pivot against mm-hmm. that deck. And, you know, I don't even know that in the festivities is that good at all. Like, having four of those seems like the wrong approach to the matchup, to be completely honest. But yeah, I, I I completely agree, and I think that you know this is this is really common. Like, oh, there's an aggressive deck. Like, I'll just play some sweepers, right? And it doesn't play out like that. It, it's there were times where like I needed my sweeper to be um, like a destroy effect rather than temporary lockdown multiple times um, this this week playing against this deck, and like that's a yeah. really big deal. Yeah, I mean, players playing get lost. Um... What's it called? I think it's called Break the Curse. Uh, it is the one mana destroyed enchantment from Woe, and then put the roll on a card. That's another big answer to these things. So, it, it, you got to come prepared. But speaking of being prepared, yeah, like I said, that was our first big jump, going from nineteen to twenty six points. We're gonna have an even bigger jump now, um, going from twenty six to forty points. This is blue eye control. This is the the new. The new kid on the block, uh, coming in at second place with 40 points. This is very classic blue-white control. Like, it is counter spells, removal spells, wrath effects, uh, 
some some way to win the game, whether it be like a big creature or planeswalkers. Um, there's lots of different things going around uh, that that people will play. But yeah, this this deck is just straight up blue eye control from 2016 or something. <laughs> Mason Clark, what do you think of this deck? I think it's really good. I actually um, had a friend describe it as Turbo Fog, um, which I thought was like pretty apt. Like you just have a ton of board wipes and then you just eventually kill them with something, right? Like you kind of just never let them deal damage to you <laughs> because you have so many board clears and stuff like that. And so while it doesn't play actual fogs, I, I do think that like that ends up being, you know, a pretty apt comparison when I'm playing the games. Um, and it's got a lot of really strong cards, you know, no more lies is obviously a big get for this deck. Deduce was a great card. Um, I think, you know, the innovation of, uh, I think it's called Reclaiming the Third Path, the two and a white draw card game life for each card in your hand. That card's actually been surprisingly good as like a one or a two of to me when I've been playing this deck. Um, and I, I just really like this deck's position and it's felt like playing on easy mode uh, every time I play this deck recently. And one of the things I really like about it is I feel really good against all the mid-range decks. They're all just like I basically have no cards for them in my sideboard spencer <laughs> and it's yeah. like they have a bunch of cards for me and it doesn't feel like it's a problem yeah one of the things that impresses me um kind of about this deck is like if you think about the those most deck played decks we talked about right um mm-hmm. you know the espers the boros convokes the you know the the domain ramp you know and then this deck would probably come in next um 50 percent of better you know small example like i said only 280 something matches played, but 50% or better against everything while having a substantial advantage, uh, in my opinion, against Domain Ramp. Um, really putting Blue Eye Control as maybe the premier control deck over Domain in the format right now. What do you like in the Blue White versus Domain matchup? Yeah, so I think that, like, it, it's it, it's funny, like, uh, I uh, find that, like, you can be the aggressive deck with, like, Planeswalkers and Whales because, like, you just, like, have Mana Leak, which gets to counter their ramp spells, um, as well as, you know, their big seven drop, you know, so they they play a... Um, uh, Atraxa? No, that's not the one that you can counter. <laughs> now, they're, they're playing two... They're usually playing... Call the Herd? Yeah, Call the Herd, thank you. They're usually... Oh, herd, herd Migration. Herd migration. Call the Herd's the old, the old yeah. one. Yes, I do that every time. <laughs> call the Herd's the green one that makes two three threes, right? Correct. That's the old uh, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Herd Migration is, like, migration. alluding to that in yeah. there. Yeah, and... Yeah. You know, I think the other thing is, is I think that people overestimate the power of their Atraxas in the matchup. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of times, like, I can power through you drawing five cards. Like, that's really probably not that big a deal. And, like, Field of Ruin, eventually you're just not going to be able to, like, get through every, like, every single one of these spells with your, uh, with your caverns. Um, I, I found the matchup to be very very winnable if not just straight up like 60 40 for mm-hmm. for blue white and blue the data kind of agrees with that gotcha i guess my, my last question would be are you playing cards like uh tashani's tidebinder and things so like that I, as well i wasn't but i do know that a lot of people find like tashani's tidebinder to be pretty mm-hmm. good in the matchup both because of atraxa and because of uh cavern of souls um mm-hmm. but I don't think it's necessary. Like the thing is, is like I can see why you'd want cards like that. But like, if I'm gonna play like a three drop, um, I almost would rather play like cloak in the sideboard. I had a blue white mirror 
um, where I positive my opponent boarded in four cloaks uh, on arena the other day. And I was like, this is, this is impossible to beat. And Hmm. I think that uh, in a lot of situations, like that card would come in, in like a lot of different matchups, like for example, this one, where like I can be the a little bit more aggressive, forcing my opponent to play a little bit off of their tempo, uh, and and really maximizing the type of counter spells that I was playing. But yeah, that's kind of I, I like what you said. It, it feels like a little bit of comfort for me playing this deck too. I've played a lot of style this style of blue white control decks, and you know uh, I also had the thought that it kind of played like Turbo Fog while I was playing this weekend, so that was really funny uh, that mm-hmm. you said that. And I also think that just like flowchart decks can be fun sometimes. Like it's 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 a little bit of a break from some of the really hard things that you can get into magic, especially when you look at oh. Yeah. But it's I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just gonna say, like when blue white's good, it's super fun because you don't have to think. You just kinda win. Yeah. <laughs> blue white flowchart is like much easier magic than like so many other things. So. Yeah, I, I think for what's what this is interesting. I'm going to play blue white this weekend at the 75k. Uh, 150 dollars when I entered is not a not not a cheap tournament to play. I'm flying across the country. You know, I'm playing this thing. I'm giving up the opportunity to hang out with friends in order to play. It's potentially a three day tournament, and I want to play the best deck that I can play. That also is the easiest to play because I have to play so many rounds. Uh, and I'm choosing blue white control because it is so easy to play. Like, unironically, once I realized Blue White was good and like talked and worked on the deck a bit and played it just a little bit, I was like, oh, thank God. I literally, Spencer, was watching TV today and I was chilling and playing and climbed from the like, it came in at like 94%, whatever, to Mythic this month and then got up to like 200, literally watching TV and playing, just not even thinking about my games. I was like, thank God I found a deck that's actually just so well positioned and it's just not going to change that much between here and Friday for so many players. And I, I literally can't describe how, like, weight off my shoulder I felt of just, I have a broken deck, and I don't have to think. Yeah. And, I get, and, I, and when I get to play the tournament, I get to think so hard, and I just won't miss the little stuff. It was just, I can't describe how relieved I was. I'm glad. Yeah, I, think, I think it's a good choice. <laughs> yeah. um, Do you like the Ezrum card, by the way? That's the one thing I keep seeing people talk about that I just can't figure out if I like. The Ezrum card? Ezrum, the agency chief. It is one white, white, blue, oh, blue. No, I think it's just like, wait, we, we talked about this in our team chat. Sorry, you finish what the card is for the listeners. It's one white, white, blue, blue, five, five, flying legendary creature, Archon Detective, if that comes up. When it enters the battlefield, it investigates twice, and then you can do sack an artifact, and this creature gains either Vigilance, Lifelink, or Hexproof until end of turn. No, I would just play Banesley and just the sideboard. Sure. No, I think okay. uh, we, were, we, we were talking about this card when we were building the blue-white deck uh, for both the, the 1K and then the challenge this weekend. And, like, I, it's so, like, I just want it to do all the things, and, like, it's mm-hmm. fine. Like, it obviously doesn't have Hexproof or whatever, but it's not like I'm boarding in against that go-for-the-throw deck. So, um, mm-hmm. and like, having in the main, I just think Whale is better. Like, I just think that, you know, there's so much aggression in this format specifically that I would mm-hmm. much rather be playing Hornlock Whale. So. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to sideboard Hornlock Whale instead of play this card. Yeah, Just I, have I, would do it, I would do the reverse. Sure. I have no creatures in my main deck. Fair enough. 
I did. I did see the list that was running no creatures. I did. Yeah, the, you were talking about the 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 gain life card. Let's go yeah. into our number one deck. It's another pretty big jump in points, but it is because of the way that we added the data together. Uh, this is everything legally Esper, and that's Esper Midrange coming with fifty three points. Um, you know the the data that I have presented to Mason also does it this way, so it mm-hmm. feels pretty fair. You know, as we're as we're talking and using this data. This deck's just good, man. Like, it it was a, just a good deck coming into this, you know, this format, and nothing has changed. One of the really nice things about these Esper, just Rafine decks in general, is that Rafine is a busted magic card, and it just gives you win percentage points in what feels like every single matchup. Like, it feels like I just get, just for registering this card, I get, like, a, th- a free 5%. Just, mm-hmm. just... For free, and I I think that that is something really strong for any deck to have. Yeah, I think you know a, a sign of a strong card is one that asks you to play magic normally and rewards you heavily for doing it. Right. So, what does Rafine ask you to do? Play creatures and declare combat. You know, and probably put some interaction in your deck. Well, you probably want to do that anyways in standard, right? And in magic in general. And Rafine pays you off in spades for doing that. And makes it really hard to flood out, makes it really hard to, you know, get stuck on lands, and it makes it really easy to play powerful, impactful cards in low numbers because you find them more consistently. So I think Esper Midrange is one of the better decks in standard. I was really excited to play kind of this or Rakdos Mid, uh, I guess Rakdos Aggro at the 75k before finding Blue Eye Control. I think this deck is very good. It's very customizable. You can build it in lots of different ways and approach matchups. Very differently, we know we're seeing enchantment heavier builds of the deck that play wedding announcement. We're seeing some that play, you know, more three drop creatures like preacher and tide binder, etc. And even from there, just like we have four preachers, I have four tide binders, I have a mixture of this. I mean, am I playing wedding announcements and preacher, you know, and Gix? And like, there's just a lot of variation in this deck, and I, I think it is really good. And you know, a, one thing that this deck really helps teach you is like virtue of uh is a very powerful card, it's like. Having Ardenvale's Fealty just to make a 2-2 on curve and later in the game slam your Virtue and just start growing your team and basically having Vigilance for all your creatures, it's like, yeah, Vigilance on all of your creatures is very good and getting them all counters is very good. And it's like even better because it like untaps with things like your Alkazots are never not blocking. And like that card very purposefully enters the battlefield tapped, right? Like they knew if it was untapped on coming back, it'd be like almost too good. And so you just get a lot of that stuff for free. So I think Esper Midrange is a great deck. You know, if you're thinking about playing in tournaments, I think Esper Midrange is like a deck that like I have a solid endorsement of. It will probably always be a pretty good deck in the format. Um, so, so many good tools. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that Esper is just like a lock to be one of the good decks. You've got so many powerful things and like there are so many ways to build it. There's Legends builds. There's Legally Esper as we call it. There's just straight up Esper Mid. There's more Black Heavy builds. There's you know, more blue heavy builds. And I just, I think that it's really hard for this deck not to just be up there as like just reasonable gamer deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just good. That is going to do it for the power ranking segment. Mason, what would you play? I guess you already uh, answered, I'm, but... I'm, I'm going to play blue white. If I couldn't play blue white, I would play Rakdos aggro. Just like an aggressively slanted mid-range deck. I put it up on my Twitter. If you want to see it, I climbed a mythic with it. I'm very happy with that deck. I put a lot of time into it. It's super fun. Uh, Rakdos mid-range has been doing awful. I don't know why people keep registering awful geological appraiser and company Carnosaur. Just put good 
creatures in your deck. Like it didn't it didn't do well in the power rankings. So I think maybe people maybe people are starting to realize it at least. I mean, it's been this way though for like so long that like yeah. the the quilt gets carnosaur stuff. It's it really is funny. And, and Dom really, I think, nailed it on the head with Dominar's judgment talking about it. But on his podcast, he talked about how Gul Dukat won a challenge playing four Frasers and I think three cruelties and four carnosaurs, which is like kind of the staple of that deck. And kind of just tweeted like, I don't think this is actually that good. I kind of just wanted to try it. And I don't believe plays the deck in that way anymore when he does play the deck, is my understanding. Don't quote me on that exactly. The the, the cat does what he wants. But ultimately, you know, like that is the information cascade where players are just continuing to play with those, and they're, like, really cool, and they are, like, powerful cards in the right situations, right? Like, we start top-decking there, two-for-ones, they have big bodies, your carnosaur hits an appraiser, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy, so much value. But they just don't actually lead to conducive wins against any of the decks we're talking about, whereas playing cards like Archfiend of the Dross and, like, high numbers and Inti and being, like, lots of two-drops and attacking people and playing Gix, that does win games. That puts your opponent on the back foot, and no one's really ready for you because you're not like a commonly played deck. Um, and you have like good cyborg cards, like Cadets Who Consumes All against Convoke is really nice. Obnixilis um, from Shoots New Capenna is really good against Blue White Control, really good against Domain. You have a lot of game, and that's a deck that I would be happy playing at the 75k. I'm really happy I'm playing Blue White Control where I feel like I just like, I'm going to get to think hard and just do so well because my deck's so strong and so well positioned, but like, Rakdos is really good too, and if you like those kind of decks, I highly suggest giving it a run. What would you play? Uh, I really enjoy Blue White. I would this weekend. I'm either playing. I'm playing one of three decks. I'll be honest. I haven't actually decided. I'm either gonna play Boros Convoke, Blue White, or Domain. Like that's that's kind of where I'm at. Patreon question: Do we have two of the same Patreon question from the same person two weeks apart? This is from Alex, uh, and Alex says, "Popper win." You know, we will do a popper episode when we have a popper guest. Is my answer. And when uh, I, I'm going to be busy that week. Yeah, and when Mason <laughs> is busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a popper is fine, but it's just not for me. Uh, I I wish that they supported formats like that more. I would love to see and have a good reason to play stuff like that, but it's just so hard. I wish they supported popper on arena. Like, how many people just have hundreds of commons? lying around on arena like especially now like all of the cards that they have on arena that they've added like mm-hmm. arena popper yeah, win is the real question they've done it a couple times right like on christmas they did like the humbug event and that was always fun it makes me wonder if like maybe the engagement wasn't there but also if you're doing it around christmas like is it your engagement always going to be lower I, I don't know it's interesting yeah i mean just get rid of alchemy and give us popper let's go uh no YouTube comments this week, but if you want to uh, head over to YouTube.com, leave a comment on this show, comment, like, subscribe. It is the best way to support the show for free. Uh, you can join the conversation over there on YouTube, in the Patreon Discord, in the public Discord, and on Twitter at CCMTG. Mason, where can people find you? You're on me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. If you want to reach out for coaching, you can reach out there or my email, Mason E. Clark at gmail.com. Uh, we're going to hit one year of me coaching full time uh, tomorrow, the time of this recording, which is exciting. So if this episode's out, you might want to check my social media. If you want to get it, I'm going to be doing a promotion of uh, 20% off for the first session for people. So that's going to be exciting. Um, if you want uh, to see me in other places, you can check out the RC coverage. I did that. 
uh, did the interactive coverage, you're going to see me on all that kind of stuff going forward. And you can find me on twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark and catch me out on TCG player every other week for the foreseeable future, writing about constructed formats. I wrote about uh, Denver last week and I plan to write about the pioneer uh, a couple days after this episode comes out. So get ready for that. Awesome. You can find me at uh Heasy game on Twitter and you can find me every week on the need to nerd podcast and every month on the smash through podcast. Uh, you can find Abe at More Nothings, where he tweets a song every single day, and you can also hit him up for coaching after the Pro Tour, after his schedule clears up. Uh, what did you learn on the show this week, Mason? I learned that you and I, you, I guess you I and a couple other people, are all sort of ending up in similar thoughts on how Blue White Control plays. I was like the comparison of like, you know, you had the thought of like it plays like Turbo Thog, heard that from some other people as well. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing that we're all coming to that conclusion because that probably means it's pretty close to the truth, if not the actual truth. And I think that gives me a really interesting viewpoint on how to try and, you know, combat against the blue white deck as both the mirror and uh, as other decks going forward. Yeah. I also think that it's probably white cards. Like if you to dive deeper into this, I think it's why I'm higher on cards like Jace in this deck than other people, I think. I think he's really easy to protect to the point where, like, you can just win games with that card that you're like, I should have no business with for this thing to mill you for 40, but it's going to do it. But, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, I, le- I learned this week just, like, that we, you know, while there's a lot going on in standard, there's a lot of different decks. I think of the top four decks, just from, like, a, like a win percentage perspective, being, you know, the Esper decks, Blue Eye Control, Boros Convoke, and Domain. I think that they're, like, head and shoulders above the rest in the format as far as, like, overall power level. And that means that, like, we have a clear tier one now. And that, that doesn't mean you can't play the other decks. Like, there are totally going to be weeks where the other decks are like, okay, I think this deck is well positioned because these decks are fighting each other. What's really interesting, though, is it seems like all the top decks have, like, 50-50s against each other. And that makes it weirder. Like, where do you gain your 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 you know your small edges? Yep, it's going to be really interesting to play out. I think it's also how like disparate certain polls are in the metagame of like fighting convoke and fighting blue white control. Use so much of like different types of cards. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see like how the mid range decks, which are the decks that can do that kind of thing, how are they going to adapt for that, and how are the other decks going to try and fight that as well. That is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we'll see everybody next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.